Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast, the go-to resource for farms across the U.S. looking to grow and manage their business. Tune in weekly to hear tips and tactics from our most successful farmers on how to increase sales, access more customers, and save time and money. We'll also speak with industry experts, business leaders, and partners to share the latest farm business trends selling direct to market. Welcome to the Direct Farm Podcast. I'm Rachel, your host for today's episode. We've got a great conversation for you today with one of our farm advisors, Jessica Evans from Evans Family Farm. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me on. So it's actually been a long time since we've had you on the Direct Farm Podcast. And so to get started, can you tell us a little bit about your farm and how you started over in North Carolina? Sure. So we are in central North Carolina. We're a pasture-based livestock farm. We raise meat for direct sales. And we've been doing that since 2016, which is when we started our farm. Neither of my husband and I have a background in agriculture at all. It was just sprouted from a passion of healthy food and healthy environment. And then maybe we'll raise a little bit more to offset the cost of raising our own. And it just evolved from there. And so now we manage 110 acres here in central North Carolina. That's amazing. And you guys started over in California, right? And then migrated to North Carolina? We did. We had your backyard homestead in Southern California, where we're from originally, which was about two acres, which in Southern California is a lot of land. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like nothing in comparison to what we have now. But it was enough to raise food for ourselves. And yeah, that's where we started some of our enterprises. So it seems obviously it's changed a lot over the last couple of years. Can you really dive into the details since you've gone full-time farming and really have expanded what that's been like and maybe some of the challenges you guys have faced? Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely challenges with growth. We started on 10 acres and that was more than enough to start with. And as we added enterprise and as we scaled up those various enterprises, we were just in need of more space, especially if we, we would call ourselves a regenerative farm. So that means you can't overuse your land. So if we stock too many animals on it or cause too much disturbance, we're not really living up to one of those missions. And so we were leasing land on different farms, one set of animals here, a set of animals there, and it was, it, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And then the horseshoe of land around us that used to be all part of one contiguous farm became available. And we'd have our eyes on it forever because it was beautiful land. We loved it. It's adjoining land. So as far as management is way easier. And that had its own challenges. And buying land is a... It's not a small endeavor. It took time and there's challenges in getting financing for farmland and interest rates and all kinds of things like that. We actually use some of the USDA programs. So if anybody listening has questions about using those new and beginning farmer programs, you can reach out to me. That's a whole nother conversation. It's a process, but it's worth it in my opinion. No, that's really good to hear. I know we get a lot of questions regarding how to go about purchasing land or should I lease? Should I purchase? Not to jump too far down the rabbit hole, but what went into your decision to deciding to purchase over lease? Leasing this land wasn't an option. So okay. uh, <laughs> the owner, the owner wanted to sell it. He did not want to lease. He made okay. it very clear, but he also worked with us. Some of this land is owner financed because we're really, we're the ideal buyer for this land. Yeah. And so we worked different equations I and mean, really it was a numbers game. I sat down with my accounting and ran my numbers and what is, what are my payments going to be? What is that going to cost me? What are we making? What does this land let us scale up in profitability? Mm -hmm. Can it pay for itself basically was the biggest question. And is it a good investment? I would say, especially in this current climate, land is always a good investment. They're not making yeah. more of it. So the communities near us are growing and land is becoming harder and harder to find. So it felt like it was a good investment. So even if heaven forbid, you know, that we had to shut down the farm for whatever reason, does this land still have value to us? So all those things we considered. 
No, that's really good to hear. And then in what point in your decision, were you guys selling direct to market the entire time when you had the 10 acres or when did you make that decision to go direct to market or at least to get your business online and, and sell online? Yeah, we'd always been direct to market. And so we were doing that just farmer's markets and word of mouth for probably the first year or so. And then we definitely just saw that was so 2017, 2018, huge pivot to a lot of online sales websites. And we saw it was a necessity. Like we need an online presence. We need an online store more than just our social media for marketing. And so I was starting to research, okay, how do I build an online store? All these different platforms that you can finagle yourself. And none of it was really meant for farmers. So it was always like having to do all these weird workarounds and happened to meet some of your founders at a conference when they were the ones running the booth. So we go way back and I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. The best use of my time isn't learning how to build a web page to meet my needs. So let's go. So it's a work hand in hand that way. I know I love to hear that, especially over the last couple of years, there has been obviously a huge shift to, to go online. But like you said, finding that that tool that's specifically built for farmers needs. Cause I think there was a quote from another one of our farm advisors. He's like, I don't know how to build a website, but I know how to raise my chickens and grow the food and everything else. And so that's, it's huge. And it probably saves you a whole bunch of time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would take me eight hours to do. It takes me five minutes on the right platform. So, and I'm sure you don't have that kind of time to spare. And nobody got time for that. So something that we really wanted to discuss with you today and something that I think a lot of farmers have a hard time deciding is the prices of their products. And so I would love to hear when you first started farming, how did you go about determining your prices and how has this evolved and changed over time? Absolutely. I think when we first started, which I think is probably where every farm starts, you look around you, like what's Farmer Joe down the street selling chicken for? And what's beef for going here? And I don't know, I have to be in that ballpark if I want to sell anything. And I think as we've grown and evolved and I've learned every year, I try and take some kind of online course or conference or professional development in that field, whether it's technical stuff in the field or if it's marketing and business stuff. And definitely learned that like my price point is my price point. Like it has to cover my expenses and as soon as you stop, I think in farming, especially because we're producing somebody's food and competing with the grocery store, sometimes we feel like we're competing with the grocery store, which really we're not. Like it's apples and oranges. And I need to be unapologetic about needing to make a living. You know, I'm not trying to price gouge anybody. Simply trying to get paid for what I do. And no other profession feels guilty about that. <laughs> farming, farming and teaching, which I was a former teacher. So maybe that's where it comes from. It's like deep-seated, right? To yes. not get paid for how much you work. Um, so just learn having to have a good grasp on my numbers. I think that's also part of this discussion, which takes time. And I would say sit down from the very, very beginning. In North Carolina, they have a farm school for people interested in getting into the business of farming. For people that don't want to jump right in there, but one of those courses is business. And somehow through networking, I had met the guy who teaches that business section, and we were able to trade kind of data for the spreadsheets. And he wants to know if his spreadsheets work. Do they work mm -hmm. in a real world environment? So we'll sit down and put my numbers in there and figure out what are we thinking of? What are we not thinking about? What are we not taking into account? And I use those constantly when I'm playing around with something. So playing around with like feed prices this year. Okay, mm -hmm. how much are they going up? How much does that change on my pricing? Um, and to be able to have a spreadsheet, I can plug those numbers in and see what my cost is. So I generally, as a rule of thumb, like to 2X my cost. If it costs me $3 to 
grow a chicken. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to price that at $6 for that chicken per oh, pound. Okay. Not the whole chicken. I'm not Walmart. <laughs> exactly. You make a really good point when it comes to, so you're looking at your input costs and you're seeing how you can your, double your profit off of what your costs are. But you also touched on a good point really quickly that I want to cover is with inflation and increased feed costs. And some of those input costs I've imagined have been going up with the recent climate. So how have you been accounting for that and raising your prices or have you been raising your prices to account for those costs? We did. So we did okay. raise our price on everything but poultry, honestly, okay. by about 10%. Now, poultry is tricky for anyone listening who does pastured poultry. You are, it's the public perception that chicken is the cheap meat. Now, granted, I think our product is completely different. The science would back up our product is completely different than what you buy at the grocery store, but you're still dealing with a customer's perception. And so we were able to scale a few things on our poultry side that let us get our costs lower because that's one way to make more money isn't always to make more sales, but how do I lower my cost? And so we were able to compensate for that by scaling things in a certain way, like economies of scale. It was, we started doing bigger batches on our processing days. So we're dividing that processing labor by a larger amount of birds and things like that. So storage, pricing our bags that we vacuum seal and pricing our stickers differently, doing a couple value adds on the items that weren't selling that we could price up. So we did raise out a couple things like boneless skinless breasts. We could sell that all day. I probably could charge $25 a pound, but I don't need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one went up. It usually goes up about a dollar a pound per year just to stay current in the market. But everything else, we went up across the board about 10 to 15% on all our cuts, pork, beef, and then turkeys for like holiday turkeys. Those went up too, because that course. was just a cost where we couldn't, there were none wiggle room to eat that cost. And then how does like your branding and how you communicate the quality of your products, do you use that at all in order to, to communicate to your customers of why you're raising prices or how does that play a role? I think we did a general email beginning of the year, just saying, Hey, just note a couple things may be going up. I don't know if I did. I think I thought about that. And I think just reading the current climate it was just expected. Everything yeah. was going up when prices changed. And then spring, our market, our in-face market starts out again. People just kind of expected it. Like we just didn't really get a lot of pushback because everybody was experiencing that. Grocery store prices are up. Gas prices are up. And then just if we did get, ever get a customer questioning, oh, this used to be this much and yeah, expenses are up, fuel's up, feed's up. And it's nothing they haven't heard before. So it was never really any pushback. Now there was like a kind of an influx in... Anybody who sells meat direct knows how mm -hmm. easy it was to do in 2020. In 2021 and 2022, it's gotten a little back to challenging. That customer retention has been the goal rather than necessarily like getting more customers. So the people that tried it and then went back to grocery store stuff, we're trying to keep them back along our side of things, I guess I would say. That makes sense. Do you use subscriptions to help with customer retention? We do. Our subscription program, I love it. So I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's flexible too. So again, we understand the current climate for other people as well. So we mm -hmm. let people, there's no commitment is what we do. You can cancel, you can pause anytime, which I think people appreciate. And I don't take it personally when they do. And most of the time they're like, hey, I got too much in my freezer. Hey, we can't afford it right now. And I've gotten those emails throughout this year and that's totally fine. Hey, I understand. No problem. You know, I can cancel it for you or here's the easy way to do it jump back on whenever you're ready kind of thing. Mm -hmm. People appreciate that too. So I think that is also good customer relations, like being understanding and everybody's bound into this where they feel like, oh, they got to keep getting them. But we do keep marketing them for sure. And people love it. I have people that have been doing some of the commercial, not to name names, the commercial subscription boxes that are mm -hmm. very ambiguous about their sourcing of yes. meat and pricing. 
in general. They have a flat price, but you're not getting, you don't know per pound price. You don't know where that animal came from. And just educating our customers that, hey, here's exactly where it comes from. Here's about what you get. You can opt out of a certain kind of meat. We let a couple customers flip-flop things if they ever need to. But yeah, it's a, it's a guaranteed sell. And I value those customers. So I think that's been a big thing in retaining our subscription customers. I want to keep those subscription customers because it's a guaranteed sell. Like no work on my part every single month. They get 100 to 200 dollars worth of meat. And so when we get like the prime cuts back, so we get ribeyes back or fillets or something we've been out of stock on, they get it first. They want to feel special and valuable. So we yes. definitely want to honor that. Yeah. You touch on a good point and Barnstar actually just wrote a blog on that topic of how local farms can compete with some of those big meat box delivery and subscription programs. And I think you touched on a really good point of that local farms can compete because of customer relations, convenience mm -hmm. with subscriptions. And I know you Evans farm does delivery too. And so finding those unique nuances of how you can offer high quality products, transparency, everything else in the same convenient formats. That's, I'm sure that's been huge for you guys too. Yeah. Yeah. Convenience is still key. As much as our customers may value what we sell, they still want it to show up magically on their doorstep. They don't want to go anywhere. They don't want to do anything. So they still want that same experience while getting what we would push as a higher value product. And I'm sure they're more than willing to switch over to you guys after being with another subscription box company, after understanding how much better your products are. Yeah, we had a couple converts this weekend. We had a big, our big fall like on farm event. So farm tours and food and kind of a grand opening for our store. And we had a couple of customers be like, yeah, I've been getting, not to name names, the commercial subscription box. They're like, but now I see, like I've seen your animals. I've stepped foot on here. I'm going to switch over. What can I do? That's so great. So I love to hear that. Because again, I feel like when you have that awareness for your customers and you're able to show them that you're offering higher quality products with the same conveniences, like you said, they're more than willing to convert. And they would rather support a local producer than not knowing where their food is coming from. Absolutely. I think most customers would definitely would rather support the local economy or the local farmer. It's just making it convenient and easy and accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to pricing. So when we talked about knowing like your input costs and understanding your business numbers, but can you maybe dive into more of, you talked about the spreadsheet tracking and everything else. What other tools do you use to that process to understand your input costs versus your output costs, et cetera? Yeah, so I sit down with those kind of once a year, but it's definitely something that should be visited more often than that. So I've even sat down or made a couple calls to our CPA this year who does our taxes to be like, hey, can we quarterly just miss standing appointment? Let's put all this data in the spreadsheet. Am I staying on track? Because right now all I have time to do is in the off season, which is winter, year's almost up and then be like, oh crap, we overspent here, we underspent here, or we're way over budget. So I'd want to sit down again with my CPA. It's one of those, it's the best use of my time. I'm not an accountant. I don't want to be an accountant. Yeah. I think numbers are interesting. Great. That's as far as it goes for me. So somebody that can be like, hey, here's my books. Here's my QuickBooks file, which I keep up to date so that I can just send that information off because she doesn't know what all our vendors are for, what products we get from what person and where that falls in different categories. Because I do want things categorized. I want to know maybe an enterprise is really draining and it's not holding its weight. Maybe that's something I consider dropping or that I really need to reevaluate how we're doing it. So I do have plans this coming year to sit down quarterly with my CPA and go over those during the year so we can make those adjustments before the end of the year. So I would say, yeah, finding a good CPA, hands down, best money we'll ever spend. When we were like a sole proprietorship, I could do my own taxes. It's pretty easy. Once we became an LLC and our other business as a corporation, that is way out of my game. Right. And laws and taxes and all those things are changing constantly. So to mm -hmm. be a full-time farmer, full-time business owner, and then also to keep track of that's impossible. 
Yeah, it is. I'm not how I want to spend my time. Barntador does have an integration with QuickBooks. So how does that play into your processes? Yeah, I mean, it's super easy because our, really our Barntador is like a single input. It's all sale product income. So it's easy to synchronize that. It's already into my QuickBooks. I don't have to go synchronize it with my bank and my credit card. That would be another tool if you've never used QuickBooks. I love QuickBooks. I know there's 10,000 other accounting softwares, but I think it's really easy. It integrates with a lot of different things because it's really popular and doing an online basics course of how to put those things in, how to add categories, doing it one time makes it super simple for the rest of your business would definitely be like a huge <laughs> point of advice. Numbers are scary and intimidating, but you need to know them because losing your business is also scary. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or having an audit and not being prepared. I think that's a big nightmare that we hear yes. about. Yeah. Yeah. We had a payroll audit this year and I was like, asked my accountant, what did we do wrong? She said, nothing. You just like randomly got drawn. You did everything right. Just send her your paperwork and you're okay. I'm like, okay, sweet. And you were prepared. <laughs> it sounds like all the ducks were in a row and it was easy just to send it off. And yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Like you said, having those tools in place, having the people surround you like CPAs, having that peace of mind is huge for your mm -hmm. business. It's not cheap. It's an expense, but I think it's well worth the money to have a handle on things and to make those financially informed decisions, not just, like, Hey, I like pigs. Let's do more pigs. Are pigs making me money? <laughs> Exactly. That's where it comes down to the bottom line for sure. And Barntador, we launched recently our finance course with a QuickBooks yeah, certified pro advisor. So uh, I think that's a good way for farmers if they're looking to get started with QuickBooks and the Barntador integration. So what would be your advice to other farmers for determining the price of their products? I would also love to know how does the way you package your products determine your prices? So like with your subscriptions and your boxes, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point to hit on that. I didn't kind of finish that thought when I started saying that we started pricing then on what our cost is. And our cost puts us, in my opinion, in a premium product category. And I want a premium price. I work really hard for my products, so I want to make money, a decent money on it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so not just pricing accordingly, but I need to also make sure my product looks, tastes, feels like what I'm charging for it. That if I do a giant $75 tomahawk ribeye for Father's Day, that better be a dang good steak or nobody's going to buy it. It can't be freezer burnt. Packaging's got to be good. The flavor's got to be great. Even the labeling, it's got to look like a premium product. Paying the little extra, does it cost me three cents a label if I order 5,000 labels to stick on my packages? Because you can look at your state's regulations. You can put additional labeling most of the time on the meat you get back from the processor. I'm not covering up their label, so everything's still there, but just a branded sticker. So that package looks pretty, it looks cool. It looks like it's worth what I'm charging for it. And again, deliveries, like I do those in insulated tote bags. They're a cost for us. We reuse them. We tell customers to leave them out. We'll pick them up. I get 50% of them back probably, but again, it's it's got a nice pocket for a folded receipt. It's got a brand on it. It's delivered, dropped right to the door. The neighbors see it. Again, it's that perceived value as well. So it needs to appear like it is the premium product it is as well. So I think that is really important in your pricing. When you want to charge a premium, it's going that little extra step with the stickers, with the clean papers, with the insulated bags or whatever fits the model that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on so many great points there. I think one of the biggest things is just those branding opportunities to tie mm -hmm. your brand into your packaging with your labels. And I love that idea of having those tote bags with your brand name on there and just the brand awareness alone that the neighbors are going to see and be jealous of, Oh, what did they get over there on their doorstep? And to increase that brand awareness locally among the neighbors is huge. I know we hear a lot of farmers picking up more customers in neighborhoods that way. Yeah. And we'll do like special promotional weekends at our in-person farmer's market. Oh, free tote when you spend 
$130, which is not that much. It's not crazy. But then we see our insulated totes all year long walking around the market with our name on them too. It cost me maybe $3 a bag, but that marketing is free. So yes. yeah, absolutely. And I think farmers too are sometimes afraid to charge those extra premium prices because they want their products to be accessible to everyone. So what advice would you say to those farmers who are afraid to maybe charge some of those higher prices? You got to look at who your market is. Who are you marketing to? Who's your ideal customer? And that's a whole nother like marketing thing. Sit down and if you were to paint a picture of that person, that one single person who's your ideal customer, what does he or she look like? What do they do for a living? What do they do in their spare time? Just have that person in mind. And every time you're writing something, writing a recipe, a blog, an email, like you're writing it to that one person. And it's okay not to be everybody's product, you know, and that's fine. That's totally fine. And sometimes you might be that person's holiday product. We sell a lot of Thanksgiving turkeys to customers who don't buy from us year round. So just believing in the value of what you're selling as well, and that you don't have to be competing with every single person around the corner or the backyard person who's got free dozens of eggs all the time. That's my competition. Those people giving yeah. stuff away, but yeah. <laughs> I can't do anything about that. Yeah, Sorry. controlling what you can control and really marketing to who your ideal customer is and catering mm -hmm. to them in all the things that you do. And that's going to draw more of that ideal customer to your door. Yeah, absolutely. And then what are ways in which you're consistently engaging your customers too? If they aren't subscribed to any of your products, but what are ways you try to get them to keep coming back to you? Emails for sure. So I'm a firm believer in email marketing. I love our MailChimp integration because the order reminders, that takes me three minutes because they're limited in characters. I I'm not adding graphics. I don't feel like I've got to make it a pretty newsletter, but guaranteed makes me a couple hundred bucks every week just by sending those email reminders out because sometimes they're ordering stuff that's I'm not even putting in the reminder. It's just, oh, Evans, oh, I forgot to order my eggs this week. Or, oh, I forgot, I got to put my deposit on my turkey. It's just um, a way to continually engaging with that customer. So mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in email marketing. I even pay like my girl that does our farmer's market stand on Saturdays since we opened our in-person store on farm. I have not mastered the ability to be in two places at once. I stay most of the time in our on-farm store. She does our in-person market and I started paying her a dollar per email. So every time she collects an email in person, because I want to maintain that year round relationship, even when our market isn't year round, I tell her like, how many emails you get this week? How many you put in the system? Like I'll give her an extra five, 10 bucks. That's um, awesome. So that doesn't cost me anything, really. Uh, email marketing, again, I think is the best way to personally communicate with your customer when you're not seeing them face-to-face. -face. And if those five customers of those emails that were that you paid $1 for each go and, and sign up for a subscription even, think about all that recurring right. revenue you're just getting from that $1 email. So that's huge to have those incentives for employees. Yeah, like even if they like buy a dozen eggs each, like that's 25 bucks. So what's my ROI? I spent five bucks, I got 25 bucks. Like it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. That's fabulous. I know we have the CFSA conference coming up in Durham, North yeah. Carolina. And so, so for, excited to be in person again. I love my in-person conferences. <laughs> yes, we are so excited too. So for our listeners who are not in the Carolinas, CFSA is the Carolina Farm Stewardship Association and Jessica Evans and Barnador are participating in this sustainable farming conference in Durham, North Carolina. And so this episode will actually debut after the conference has wrapped, but I know that you will be presenting not only alongside Barnador, but you have your own presentation. So I would love to hear more about that. I do. So that's the former teacher in me. I love talking to groups of strangers. It's wonderful. <laughs> My strand at the conference is actually on educational agritourism. So a couple years back, we started a summer camp program for kids. And that may not be everybody's cup of tea, but that's really what it's focused on is not only agritourism, so being able to use your farm to create your tourism dollar value and revenue, but the educational side of that too. So that's what we're focused on, how to do either summer camps or just even weekend camps, afternoon camps, things like that to add, again, value and revenue for what we're doing. 
I love to hear that. And then also just focus on like educating the future consumer too is huge and turning those mm-hmm. into to consumers who are consuming locally produced products and supporting local businesses. That's awesome to hear that you guys are doing that and how fun of a yeah. presentation. Yeah, it'll be really fun. And we'll cover just a lot of things that come up when you start planning something big like that. And again, it's for us, it's, it's a marketing thing. So I love doing the summer camps because it's a heck of a lot of work for sure. It is profitable, but it also gets people that maybe are in my surrounding community because people aren't going to drive from two hours away to go to my summer camp. And I think it's wonderful, but let's be real. And so it's drawing my local community, letting them put foot on the farm, see, touch, feel, have that experience. And then it's not like an intimidating connection. Those are the people that come to our other events the people that'll shop at our store. So it's also it's a marketing strategy as well. And increasing that local brand awareness too, like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then Barnstar's presentation is on food scarcity and how local farms can be a solution after the current climate of our economy. Mm-hmm. And so I know you will be participating in a panel discussion with us alongside two other Carolina farmers. So we're so excited to have you and, and to be with you there in person. Yeah, I'm excited about that too. So just to wrap things up here, what's next at Evans Family Farm? All kinds of crazy (laughs) as usual. So nothing terribly different probably for the coming year. We're going to keep doing our summer camp programs. We actually have randomly gotten a lot of requests. It sounds weird, but for an adult like farm camp program, whether it's like a day program or a weekend program, just learning on farm on hand skills, whether it's poultry processing or grass management, and then having the fun aspect in there too. It gives them that personal connection. Let's cook some food. Let's have some craft beer and let's hang out and meet people that are like-minded. So probably start doing a little more of that in this coming year for sure. Hopefully continuing and what we're doing now, producing quality pasture-raised meat. That sounds like very fun endeavor. I can't wait to hear how that goes and get a debrief on next time we have you on the podcast. So I want to extend my thanks to Jessica for joining us on this week's podcast episode. Here at Barn to Door, we're humbled to support thousands of farms across the country, including farms like Evans Family Farm. We're honored to get the opportunity to learn from our most successful farms who share the tactics, resources, and tools they use to grow and manage their farm business. If you would like to connect with Jessica and other farm advisors, attend Barn to Door Connect. Register for weekly sessions at barnstoreconnect.com. And for more information on Evans Family Farm, you can follow them on Instagram at Evans Family Farm NC. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. For more free farm resources, tips, and tactics that our most successful farms use to grow and manage their business, visit barnstore.com slash resources. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Direct Farm Podcast to automatically download our weekly episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.